Welcome to McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I'm KRTV KXLA Chanker Tim McGonagall. This episode takes us from the fertile farmlands of north central Montana to the halls of the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. For the better part of the last 15 years, that's where John Tester has spent much of his time as a member of the U.S. Senate. His career has been marked by music, agriculture, and policymaking. He's endured three hard-fought U.S. Senate campaigns and won them all, but has yet to commit to a fourth. That's just one of the questions I asked him when he was able to take time recently in a life of politics that rarely slows down. I hope you enjoy this conversation with U.S. Senator John Tester. Well, it's always good to see Senator John Tester, a Democrat from the great state of Montana. And uh, Senator, uh, the, the name of this program is called McGonagall's Chronicles Making Montana Connections. But I'm wondering if we should change that subtitle to Making Big Sandy Connections, because on this program, we've had Jeff Ament. We've also had uh, Bob Quinn, the organic farmer, and now yourself. So three proud Big Sandy, Big Sandy folks. So uh, again, thanks for for joining us. And I want to talk to get started with with Big Sandy. I know uh, your history there goes all the way back for as long as you can remember uh, with the family farm. Talk about that uh, the the tester uh, roots in in Big Sandy. So. Uh... My grandfather on my mother's side came out in 1910 from the Red River Valley, um, where his dad homesteaded. And, you know, uh, Hill promoted this area where we're at, the Golden Triangle to come in, and it was the next big thing. And and my grandfather came out, looked around, and, and, and he said that the grass was as tall as the belly of a horse. And so that's pretty darn good. And so uh, he went back. Uh, back to West Fargo, I mean, in North Dakota and grabbed a few cousins and they all came out and, and started the homestead. And in fact, the place we're on is actually the place that my grandfather's brother, Henry, uh, homesteaded. And my grandfather traded him a team of horses and moved a mile east. And uh, that's where the home place has been uh, since the early teens. Um, and um, then my grandfather and grandmother homesteaded it for, uh, until 1943 when my dad married my mother and they came out to the farm. My dad was originally from Utah. Uh, his dad was a miner. So it was, it was a little different life, uh, living up in the mountains versus the flatlands, uh, west of big Sandy, Montana. Um, and, and they came out and my dad and mom, uh, ran the farm and, until, uh, 19, 1978, my dad turned 62 and they retired uh, and went to North Idaho and turned the farm over to a 21 year old kid who just got out of college and uh, and took the farm over uh, that year. And so this is our 44th year uh, with Charlotte, myself on the farm. And it's, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been an amazing opportunity that uh, I got because of my grandparents and my parents hard work and, uh, and hopefully there will be a generation on after after I'm off the land, after Charlotte and I are off the land, because that's very important to me personally. But but um, look, I, I got to live and grow up in a in a community where things didn't change a lot. Uh, where you know my best friend when I entered school was my best friend when I left school, and uh, the class uh, that I graduated with had uh, about forty kids in it, and those. 40 kids were there in first grade. And for the most part, it was the same 40 kids when I graduated. And so you got to develop long-term relationships with, with those, with those folks. And uh, some of which still exist today. Uh, 
with many of the kids that I graduated from high school with. But, but, you know, it was typical small town. Everybody was looking out for everybody else. If you did something wrong, your folks knew about it before you got home uh, because somebody called them up and told them. And uh, if you did something right, everybody was cheering for you. And, and it was just uh, uh, an incredible opportunity growing up in, in small town, north central Montana. And, uh, and it's something that I'm forever grateful for. And it's a big part of who I am. You know, as I said, we interviewed Jeff Ament from uh, Pearl Jam, and he talked about growing up in Big Sandy and said much of the same things that you just said. So I guess we can verify that from uh, from two sources now. All right. <laughs> so you... Uh, Jeff's, Jeff's dad is well, pretty well documented as the first guy that ever gave me this haircut because he's a town <laughs> barber, mayor, insurance salesman. So it was good. Yeah. Well, uh, I know uh, college, you went to uh, University of Great Falls. I think at that time it was called the College of Great Falls. So, uh, and it's undergone some several name changes, but... Uh, Music was your major, right? And music education, is that correct? Absolutely correct. So um, senior, senior school, I was going to go into diesel mechanics at, at Helena Votac. Uh, I knew I was going to take over the farm, and I thought that knowledge in diesel mechanics would help me out a bunch. Um, I had, as usual, my a teacher come up to me and say, you know, you play a pretty good trumpet, and they've got a good music program at the College of Great Falls. And by the way, they did. In my opinion, they had the second best music school in the state of Montana, in 1974. Um, only Missoula was better. And, and quite honestly, it was close to home. I could continue to help my folks out in the farm. And uh, I went back and I talked to my folks and I said, you know, um, uh, Mr. Nicholson said, you know, I should probably go into music because I've got some skills in that area. What do you guys think? And my folks said, we think it's a good idea. Diversify your opportunities out there because you never know if the farm's going to be here forever and you'll have something to fall back on. So uh, I went down and I, I tried out for a performance music scholarship, um, a little combination of being pretty good at it and, and lucky and uh, got the scholarship and, and went to the College of Great Falls and had uh, an incredible educational opportunity, majoring in music, minoring in psychology. And then um, after I, uh, and then it was a small school, so it was the same thing as Big Sandy, you got to develop friendships that exists to this day. And, and then after I got my Bachelor of Science in music, I uh, went back to Big Sandy and, and taught elementary music on a halftime basis for, for a couple of years. And that was also a very, very positive experience. I, I had figured on being a high school music teacher, a band teacher, uh, was what I always had in my head as I was going through college, uh, but ended up loving elementary music and ended up really liking teaching the little kids, they were, they were great. Those little kids now are in their fifties, but, but the truth is, is that it was a lot of fun and learned a lot, learned a lot about life, learned a lot about human nature, learned a lot about kids, uh, but overall very positive experience. I know somewhere along the line, uh, you got drawn into politics at the, at the local level and eventually the level that you are now, but uh, talk about how you first became involved in politics. Yeah. So every legislative session, um, the school would load up the juniors and seniors in, in the school and take them to Helena. And that happened in 1973. They loaded up uh, the class of 73 and the class of 74. I was part of the class of 74 and they took us down to Helena and we got to see the legislature in session. First time I'd ever been in the Capitol was then the state Capitol and got to visit with the legislators that were serving there. Um, and it made a big impact on me. Uh, I, I will tell you that um, it might sound kind of corny, but that experience 
when I left that Capitol, after talking to the legislators and visiting with them about anything they wanted to visit, has impacted me, impacted me then and impacted me this day. In fact, I walked out and I said, someday I'm going to run for the legislature. And uh, in fact, told my wife that when I proposed to her, I said, here's the deal, honey, at some point in time, I'm going to run for the legislature. I might win, I might not. Well, that time came 25 years after that first visit to the legislature in 1998, when my neighbor, a guy by the name of Warren Jenkins, decided not to run for the state senate again because of term limits, I think. Uh, but I was never going to run against Warren Jenkins. He was a friend of the family and a neighbor. He was a different political party, but he was a good guy. Still is a good guy. He's still kicking around and decided to run and and ran hard. Uh, started doing doors in January and we never stopped until election day and let people know who I was, what I stood for, and that I had a pretty good work ethic. And um, and we got lucky. And in a district that traditionally was Republican, I won it by uh, double digits. And so... Uh, it was an opportunity for me to serve in a place that I always wanted to serve in. And before the eight years that I spent in the, in the state legislature were incredibly positive years. There, there were a time when, when I learned a lot about, um, about people and about government. Now I, I had prepared myself for this because I, I served on soil conservation board and the school board. I served on this County FSA committee. I served on, everything I could do to help improve my community for those 20 years after we moved back to the farm before I got in the state legislature. So many of the folks I worked with, I had made contact previously, but nonetheless, there were a lot of folks I didn't know and a lot of friendships I made there. But, but the bottom line was, is because term limits were kicking in, when I was a freshman senator in the state legislature, it was obvious that you were either going to move up the leadership ladder rather quickly or you weren't. And uh, a good friend of mine from Great Falls, a guy by the name of Steve Doherty, who I played softball with before I got in the legislature, uh, asked me if I wanted to go into leadership. He was minority leader at that point in time. And I said, I'd, I'd love to do that. So my second session, I was with my third session, I was minority leader. And my fourth session, my last session, I was president of the Senate. That's a pretty rapid rise but because of term limits, it was necessary. Uh, and we did it. But in the meantime, we were able to get some things done and in the state legislature, which is such an amazing place where you have a citizen legislature model, you can actually get things done without any staff. And in fact, that's the way it works. So that Tim, if you had an idea and you approached me and said, you know what, I want to do this, we can sit down together, basically sketch out the bill, take it down to legislative services, they write it up, send it back to you. We talk about the bill and it's current form, make any changes, and then we'd have a hearing. And you'd bring in the opponents and the proponents and, and get it done. And it was very gratifying to me because it just shows how democracy works and how how the citizen legislature model in Montana, I believe, is the best there is in the nation. It's one of the reasons I still farm being a United States senator, because I think that working in the private sector as you serve, even though it's an incredibly brutal schedule, keeps you connected to real life. And I think that these walls we have around us, these brick walls and mortar tend to suck you in and, and it tends to take away reality. But if you still got that job where you're still making the books balance outside these, these walls, I think it makes you a better legislator. In Montana, I think we've got the best system in the country. Yeah. As you look back on your life on the farm and in the Senate, the U.S. Senate, I guess, what, uh, what's more difficult, being a U.S. Senator or being a Montana farmer? There are 180 degrees apart. Uh, 
in, in jobs. I mean, uh, it, they couldn't be more different from one another. Farming uh, can be very solitary, and it is. The U.S. Senate is very public every minute of every hour of every day. Very seldom do I see people like Tim McGonagall with a camera out in the middle of my wheat field. But every day, if you're walking across the street, there's somebody with the camera taking pictures of you. Uh, they both have their challenges. They're both very difficult. Uh, and the challenges are so difficult that I really can't even answer your question because we're combating weather, we're combating consolidation marketplaces, we're, we're combating uh, making sure that the government has the right supports there as farmers. And that's very important too, especially with climate change coming on. Um, at this level, you, you know, I've got, a, I've got a million plus bosses and making sure that you're doing your level best out there to, to, uh, to listen to people, to use two ears and one mouth, which the good Lord gave you. And so listen far more than you talk is really important. And, and the challenges of threading the needle on a lot of these policies um, is, is tough. And then you've got the political influences where, you know, everybody's supposed to go to their own corner and you're supposed to fight it out in the middle. And a lot of people like to see those fights. But the truth is, is I came here to try to do good things. And so fighting from your corner doesn't get you things done. And I can give you plenty of examples of folks that have never passed a bill here or if they pass one, it's been pretty small because all they do is fight. I have a different opinion. I think that we all come from very similar backgrounds. We may have different perspectives, but we have far more in common than we have opposed to one another. So let's look for that common ground and try to build off of it. That's how we got the bipartisan infrastructure bill done. I'm working on a toxic exposure bill right now. We're doing the same thing. I'm trying to get Jerry Moran is a ranking member Republican on board so we can come together as Democrats and Republicans and actually do what's right for our veterans in this country. There are times you have to fight, but there are a lot of times you don't have to fight and it's not necessary. And so there are two different jobs uh, with two different sets of challenges that are totally different from one another. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, um, and I told this to a person who was in my office the other day, I'm a U.S. Senator. I wear a suit and I wear a tie and, and all that stuff, but I'll, I'll always be a Montana farmer. And that's a fact. Uh, I, I was my, I was on the combine with my dad when I was five. I told dad I wanted to take over the farm when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough that two of my brothers went different directions and I was able to take over the farm. And it's been a blessing for me. And then it's been a blessing to be able to serve at all the local capacities I've served with over the years and in the state legislature. And now an incredible honor to serve at the federal level where there's a challenge every day that, that you've got to try to uh, overcome and, 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 and make the world a better place for our kids because that's why everybody's here. Uh, oftentimes we forget that though. Yeah. Senator, you mentioned uh, your work with veterans and you're on the Veterans Affairs Committee, the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, tell me why that's so important to you and uh, why it should be important to Montana. Well, I think once again, you go back to my big sandy roots where I had a bus driver by the name of Lindy Ray, who was a World War II veteran and carried my trumpet on a bus every morning. And, and they needed a VFW bugler when I was in seventh grade to play taps at funerals. Uh, was the main function for that. And Lindy said, hey, uh, uh, the, the guy who's playing taps is graduating from high school, the guy who's the bugler, would you be interested in the job? Well, this was like 
one of the highest honors, in my opinion, you could have a big sin is, is playing taps for the people who serve this country in the military. And my folks made me aware of that at a young age uh, as I was growing up. So uh, I said, you bet, uh, do, it, do it in a heartbeat, Linda, Lindy. It's just, it was just the right thing to do. So I got to be around those veterans from World War II, World War I even when I first started being a bugler, and, and from the Korean War, and then later from the Vietnam War. And, and I, I believe to the bottom of my soul that if a veteran is laid to rest, there ought to be a live bugler playing taps there. I think it's what needs to happen every time. At any rate, that experience when I was, you know, from age 13 to 18 uh, impacted me throughout my life. And, and when I got back here and was put on a Veterans Affairs Committee, even though I didn't serve in the military myself, I, uh, you know, went out and got information and had town hall meetings and listened to folks and did a little research myself and found out that nearly 10% of the people that live in Montana are veterans, second highest per capita in the nation. And that there was a lot of room for improvement in the VA. And so we just went to work, whether it was with the Secretary Pete from the Bush administration all the way to, to Secretary McDonough right now in the Biden administration. We work with every secretary, built relationships with them to be able to deliver the services that veterans have earned. Not that they get, that they have earned through their service to this country. And uh, it has been an amazing experience for me because, quite honestly, veterans, they don't mince many words. If, if they want you to do something, there's not, there's not a lot of frosting on that cake. They, they lay it on you and they lay it on you hard. And I like that. And it, it gives me an opportunity to, to know unfiltered where their priorities are, no beating around the bush about it. And, and we've been able to do some good things. I say we, the American taxpayer, the people on the committee, and the veteran service organizations and the veterans out there have been able to do some good things for our veterans, um, whether it's clinics and places like Billings and Bozeman and Missoula or Great Falls or, or Butte or, 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 or whether it's, uh, you know, senior homes down in southwest Montana um, or whether it's making sure that, that, that we're living up to uh, the promises we made in housing. Uh, and and education benefits. So it's it's the second biggest agency in the federal government. The veterans veterans uh, uh, the veterans agency is, uh, and uh, Office of Veteran Affairs. And and I will tell you that that um, it's it's a challenge, and it's it and, but it's a good challenge, and it's for the people who sacrificed greatly for this country. Some of them will come back with wounds you can see. We can deal with those. Some of them come back with wounds you can't see, and if People will remove the stigmatism for that. We can fix those too, and uh, and uh, and so we've we've had our challenges, but we've had the opportunity to work with some great people in these agencies in the VA. Uh, every secretary I work with, regardless of who the president is, has been really really good people, and we've been able to do some good things in the process. All right, Senator, I know we're kind of running short on time, but uh, this this year, 2022, is a uh, there's a midterm election, and uh, you wouldn't be up for election re-election until 2024. Have you given any thought to that? Uh, are you ready to make the announcement here that you're going to run <laughs> on, on McGonagall's podcast? Well, let me tell you something. It's always it's always a big decision because it's a six year gig in the United States Senate, which is which is good. Uh, running every two years, I can't imagine what that would be like. But on the other side of the coin, it is a six-year commitment. And uh, I'm one who believes that if you make that commitment, it's a six-year commitment, you do it. 
And uh, I, it's a decision. It is a big decision. Um, I'm going to be talking, of course, with my wife, and my brothers, and my kids, and my family, and friends. Uh, and then we'll make a decision probably in about a year. Uh, but but the bottom line is is that and this is uh, this is a response everybody gives reporters, and that is you know I'm too busy doing this stuff. But the truth is, between the stuff I'm doing on meat consolidation and the stuff I'm doing on toxic exposure for veterans and the work I'm doing on defense probes, making sure that we've got folks funded for the for the battle that's going on between Russia and Ukraine is really, really taking a lot of time. And, and it's something I think is really important on every one of those fronts, plus a whole lot of other things that we're doing in commerce and, and in other areas that, that I think are really important. We are, this country is the leader of the world. And it's the leader of the world because we had smart people that came before us that did things that were prudent and made the right decisions. Not all the time, but most of the time. And I think we are at an interesting time in this country and that there is so much division and there's so much stuff going on that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever that we've got to get through. And, and, and we've got to continue to make investments in things like infrastructure and public education and, and, and things like that. If we're going to maintain our university systems, we're going to maintain our position as a leader in this world. We could lose it tomorrow. We could lose the democracy in short order too. So this is stuff we have to be aware of and never, ever, ever take it for granted. All right. And one more time, I wanted to get to your uh, plug for your book. You have a book out called Grounded, A Senator's Lessons in Winning Back Rural America. Uh, just real quickly, talk about uh, about that and the, your decision to write that book. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's basically a book that talks about a lot we talked about today. It talks about my experiences in life and how it's influenced how I think about uh, public policy today. Uh, it's a book that uh, a guy who uh, was my press secretary and ultimately was my chief of staff uh, that worked for me for 10 or 12 years uh, helped me write. Um, the guy's name is Aaron Murphy. He's a great writer and, and somebody that, uh, got to know me pretty well, and I got to know him pretty well. And so we did a lot of set-down conversations about where I wanted to go with the book and and what I wanted to talk about. And ultimately, what you would get if, if you had the opportunity to read or listen to it is, is just how life experiences have impacted my view of public policy. And uh, and make, make no mistake, we are a product – of our communities and uh and uh, what happened to me uh, uh growing up in big sandy inside school outside of school the impact my parents teachers my brothers had on me uh, my friends um you know has a big impact on me still today as i think everybody it has impacted everybody so um you know we talked about we got some recommendations for the for the people who serve in the united states senate both parties and i got some recommendations for democrats if they want to, if they want to, uh, if they want to be, uh, I think if they want to be in a position of majority. So, um, you know, I, I would, I would tell you that it was a lot of work getting the doggone thing written, uh, but I'm glad we did it because it helped bring back a lot of great memories, helped bring back some memories that were tough too, but, but it was a lot of fun in the end. All right. Well, Senator, I thank you so much for the time. I know you're busy. The, the, the action never sleeps in Washington, but, uh, I hope you get some sleep uh, uh, here soon because I know it's a it's a grind. 
<laughs> it's 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 good, but you know, sleep's overrated. So you know, we get we got time to do it. So it works out good. Hey Tim, it's always a pleasure being on with you. Thank you very much for the work you do, and it's a pleasure to be on this podcast. You've been listening to a conversation with U.S. Senator John Tester. The Montana Democrat is serving in his third term on Capitol Hill. Next time on McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I, I first came to Montana 45 years ago as a ninth grader. I had a World War II vet who was my junior high school science teacher. And he had trained at Maelstrom. I flew P-51s and fell in love with Montana. The only way he could get here on a public school teacher's salary from Pennsylvania uh, was to bring two van loads of ninth graders with him. So we drove all the way across the country in 1976. And it's interesting the impact a teacher can have because four people on that trip in 1976 ended up moving to Montana. And I was one of them. On the road with Montana Governor Greg Gianforte. The state's chief executive talks family, business, government, and more. I invite you to subscribe to McGonagall's Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts and write a review. You can also follow this podcast on Facebook and Twitter. For McGonagall's Chronicles, making Montana connections, I'm Tim McGonagall.